0: Today we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, the Word of God, so that's probably all I'm going to say right now on this topic. Next week I will probably include some portion of the sermon. It fits thematically relatively well, uh, some element of a little bit of what you might be getting into if you choose to affirm this call. Of course, you've had a couple years to get a sense of what you might be getting into, so, but we respect this process and I want to... Again, be full and open so that this is a a truly God-honoring and godly decision that we make as a body. So have you ever read a part of a book and then you realize you have no idea what you just read? When I was in college, I actually tried to schedule all my classes on just two days of the week i try and line it up so that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would get all five classes back to back to back to back from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. This would then let me work full days on Mondays and Fridays. And What that meant was that on Wednesdays, there was a lot of homework. Particularly in the early part of a semester, it was not uncommon for me to have about 10 hours of reading that had to get done on a Wednesday. You do that for a while, but after a few hours, you start to realize you don't really remember anything on the page you just read, and then you are presented with a really fundamental decision. Do I go back and reread the page, or do I just keep moving forward and hope that it wasn't important? Sometimes you choose one way, sometimes you choose the other. That approach works for college, or it worked okay for me anyway, but that is not the approach we should take when we read the Bible. Now, all this fall, we're talking about classic spiritual habits that Christians have relied on for 20 centuries to, to train ourselves for godliness, as Paul commanded us to do, to grow in Christ's likeness and to draw nearer to God. And other than the worship of God, I believe that there is no other single habit more transformational than the regular embrace of God's Word. But that embrace has to go a whole lot deeper than just reading the pages the way I read some of those college textbooks. Instead, God's people should embrace God's Word in a transformative way. Right? This is so important, I want to repeat it. God's people, that's us, should embrace God's Word in a transformative way. And to help us understand what does it look like to have a godly embrace of God's Word, we're going to turn to a portion of the book of Nehemiah, in which God's people embraced God's word in a way that they had not done for centuries. Our passage this morning is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. It will be up on the slides, but it's split over three slides, so I would encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padaiah, Mishael, Malkaijah, Hashum, Hashpedana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The people of Israel were deeply disconnected from the Lord and from his law. And this was not just the byproduct of decades of exile in Babylon. Instead, it was the cause of that exile. The Israelites had neglected the teaching of of God's law and the observance of that law for centuries. They had spent their time instead chasing after the things of the world and, and trying to worship every other neighboring country's gods. And so here in Nehemiah, as they have returned to Jerusalem and they have completed the reconstruction of the city wall, Nehemiah now turns to the much greater task of rebuilding the people of God. And he knew that to accomplish this task, the God's people must embrace God's word. And so this passage begins with a gathering of everyone in Israel, men, women, and children old enough to understand the Torah, the law of God. Tens of thousands of people, picture this, tens of thousands of people gathered together in the square, excited to hear God's law proclaimed for the very first time in their lives. And as Ezra opens the book of the law, they, they stand up in awe and respect for God's word. And, and then praying and praising God, this profound moment of worship breaks out as they, they're lifting their hands and bowing their heads and crying out, Amen, Amen, as they worship the living God. And then there is attentive silence as Ezra begins to read in a loud, clear voice. And Ezra read for hours from early morning to midday, probably five or six hours. So if you think I go long, he ain't see nothing. He reads Genesis and God's creation and his, his covenants with the patriarchs, the founding of his people. He reads Exodus and the mighty works of God, redeeming his people from slavery and making them his people, providing for them in the wilderness. He reads Leviticus and the gift of law so that the people of God might become holy because their God is holy. He reads Numbers, and they see the terrible betrayal and and failure of the people of God as an entire generation dies off for disobedience. And then he reads Deuteronomy, the great recapitulation of God's law and his nature and, and, and all of his promises for future blessing for obedience, as well as his promises of future punishment for disobedience. And as they, as they listen to God's law, Ezra stops periodically so that so the leaders and the Levites could go throughout the crowd and, and help make sure that every single person understood every single thing that was being told to them, and they did. They understood the holiness, the perfection, the grace, the beauty, the mercy, the patience, the faithfulness of God who had created the universe and formed mankind from dust and chosen them and they understood the repeating failings of the people of Israel the depths of their unfaithfulness and their betrayal of their covenant with God and their own sin and shame and they wept But Nehemiah, wise as he was, knew that while this moment was painful, this was a time of celebration because they had recognized their failures, they had heard for the first time in their lives God's law, and they were committed to be a different people. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord." And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This was a transformational encounter with God's word. And there are many lessons for us as we strive individually and as a church to embrace God's word in a way that transforms us. So I want to very briefly list the characteristics of a godly embrace of God's word that we see in this passage, and these are the characteristics we'll apply as we talk about four ways we should regularly embrace God's word. In verse 1, we see that the people are unified. They're gathered as one man. Verse 3 makes clear that they were attentive, they gave full attention for hours to hearing and understanding God's Word. Verses 5 and 6 reveals that they are reverent and prayerful as they prepare to hear the Word proclaimed. And verses 7 and 8 emphasize the priority that was placed by the leadership on clarity and understanding of God's Word. But we see that the people don't simply understand God's word. They don't merely stop at comprehension. It penetrates their hearts. In verse 9, they are weeping. And yet even as God's word is convicting them painfully, they are joyful in hearing it. And then they depart and they begin to apply God's word in their lives, starting in verse 12 and beyond through the rest of the book of Nehemiah. They have fully embraced God's word with mind, heart, soul, and strength. And as the modern-day people of God, our regular encounters with the Bible should be like that. We must make a habit of embracing God's Word daily. You see, the Bible is God's revelation of himself, his nature, his character, his action and involvement throughout history, and most especially the revelation of his Son, Jesus Christ. to know God well, we can't just encounter God's Word for an hour on Sunday mornings while the other 167 hours of the week are filled with the words of mankind. You see, it's in God's Word that we not only read, but we see throughout history that God is indeed a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. You see, we don't just read these words from Exodus 34, but throughout the Bible as we encounter God's word, we see that time after time, century after century, this description that God has given of himself is true. It's in the Bible as we embrace it regularly that we begin to appreciate the depths of sin and failure within each and every one of us, and how it is that that sin and failure disqualifies us from entering into the presence of the loving, gracious, just God who created us to be in relationship with Him, and who loves each of us deeply. It's through frequent encounters with God's Word that we truly come to understand there is no possible way for us to work hard enough be good enough or give enough away to earn our way into God's presence. It's in God's word that we see both the promise and the fulfillment of God's gracious plan to deal with our sin and our shame and restore our relationship with him through the once for all perfect sacrifice of the sinless, holy, eternal Messiah, Jesus Christ who voluntarily suffered and died on a Roman cross to pay the penalty and to take the wrath of God for each of our sins, yours and mine. It's in the Bible that we see Christ rise from the dead, proving not only God's acceptance of that sacrifice, but that Christ was telling the truth when he said, all who believe in him will live eternally in the presence of God is through daily encounters with God's Word that we experience the blessing and joy of knowing what it is to be free of our sin and our shame and our guilt because of the blood of Jesus Christ, what it is to be restored into relationship with God, not because we deserve it, but because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God. It's through the regular embrace of God's word that we learn what God's standard and desire for our life is, and what a life of holiness and godly flourishing looks like. It's through daily encounters with God's word that we are encouraged when we are in the depths of despair, and challenged and convicted when we are riding high in self-confidence. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There is no single way by which God's Spirit works in our lives more directly and more consistently than through regular encounters with God's Word. And as we absorb and embrace God's Word, we learn to think about things the way God thinks about things. And that is a huge change from our natural selves. And so given that, I want to briefly describe four ways every believer can and should make a habit of embracing God's Word. The first of these should be obvious if you're here. It is gathering with other believers to hear the Word proclaimed and taught. As you know, God's Word is a particular passion of mine And in preaching and teaching, one of my first commitments beyond, of course, accuracy is making sure it is clear and understandable, just as the leaders in Nehemiah's time sought to do. But Sunday morning and regular Bible study are also our chance to gather in unity with one another as believers the way the Israelites did. So if you're not currently part of a regular Bible study, I would strongly encourage you to to find one, to find a place, whether it's Wednesday night, Sunday morning, one of our weekday studies where you can dig deeply into God's Word in unity with other Christ followers. But we need to embrace God's Word every day we possibly can, and that means daily, systematic Bible reading. Reading God's Word is is like receiving manna from God every single day. It is his perfect provision for that day. I can't tell you how many times the reading I do in the morning is either directly addresses what is on my mind that morning or what I will encounter later that day. And I know many of you can tell the same kinds of stories. It's for this reason that the Building Up team has been providing daily Bible reading plans. And I've actually heard from several of you who have started reading God's Word every day using the plans, which is very exciting right? Because we are reading in unity. We are in God's Word daily. We started in October. The one for November is on the back table, but here's the thing, right? If you haven't been reading God's Word daily, don't, don't worry about the fact that you didn't start on the right day or anything like that. It is always the right day to start reading God's Word every day. So if you aren't already, then November 5th is the right day to start. Pick up the plan. Start on November 5th. Yes, you may want to go back and do some background reading to know what you're in the middle of, but just pick up and go. Grab a plan. Get started with today's passages. But as you read, don't let the words bounce right off your brain like my college textbooks did. Make your daily encounter with God's Word a true embrace. Right, Grab hold of it. Let it affect your mind and your heart and your way of life, just as it did for the folks in Nehemiah. Just as they did, I would encourage you to begin reading with a short prayer. Pray for clarity and understanding, right? You have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, one of His tasks is to make sure you understand God's Word. Pray for attentiveness and reverence, the ability to focus on God's Word and not be caught by 27 different distractions running through your mind. And pray for God to speak to you through His Word, because He will. Approach your reading attentively and reverently like they did. Choose a time when you're able to focus on God's Word free of distractions. Right? Which if you have kids, it means kids. I mean kids. Maybe it's a quiet time early in the morning. That's my preference. Maybe it's after the family goes to bed. Maybe it's during a break at work. I think Pastor Neil shared that that's kind of his preferred time is in the afternoons when he's he's fully up and, and his mind is able to approach it operationally and attentively and reverently. Read it for clarity and understanding. Use a high-quality translation that you can understand. Right? Realize that there are different English translations out there, and they actually target different levels of reading ability. They target different levels of experience with the Bible. If you need help understanding what you read, get a, get a study Bible that has notes at the bottom of the page to help explain difficult verses. And, and realize, if you didn't know it already, I love talking about these issues. So feel free to ask me. Some of you already have. You see, Psalm 119 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, and we don't just walk around on Sundays. We walk around every day of the week. And we need that light every day of the week. Now to this point, I have talked about how to embrace God's word with unity, with clarity, with understanding, with reverence, and with prayer. But despite all that, it is still really easy to read God's Word and collect some knowledge from it, and yet fail to let it affect us. Fail to let it penetrate our heart and soul. Fail to put it into action. Right? We become big, giant Bible trivia brains, not disciples of Christ, not growing in our relationship with God and our living of a godly lifestyle. One of the reasons for this, I think, is that when most of us read God's Word, we tend to to read it, we close it, we're done for the day. We do not meditate on God's Word. But we are told to meditate on God's Word. The Bible frequently extols the value, the virtue, the benefit of meditating on God's Word. Christian meditation is something that seeks to fill our mind and our heart with God's Word. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 proclaims, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now there's lots of ways to meditate on Scripture. I actually hope to do something with that after the turn of the year. But you can get started very easily by taking one or two verses out of your reading that day, verses that, that really struck you. They, maybe they spoke to your heart condition that day. Maybe they spoke to some quality or virtue of Jesus Christ or God that you had not thought of before. Just take those verses and think deeply about them. Start by repeating them several times. And as you do, emphasize different words. Just go through each time you repeat it, emphasize a different word. And then what does that bring out in your mind? What does it get you thinking about? What are the applications to your life that you see from this? All right, if you're a journaler, take some time to journal about it. This is actually what meditation, Christian meditation, looks like. You do not sit and go, mmm. As you do these things, embrace the verses. Let them affect you emotionally. Let them give you joy or confidence or comfort or encouragement or conviction and sorrow. Let them work on your heart. It's okay. And then later that day, and guess I'm presuming that you do your reading in the morning, but at other points during the day, right? If you do it in the morning, it's easy. Pick three or four times. Could be in the car on the way to work. Could be at lunch. Could be in the car on the way back. And just briefly bring them to mind and and think about them and reflect on their meaning for your life. None of this takes a long time. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you want to put into it. Obviously, the more you put in, the more you get out. But You'll find that you not only remember God's word more vividly, but that it is really affecting you and changing you more powerfully because you have richly embraced God's word. And last of all, I encourage you Right, and I'm encouraging me too to begin memorizing scripture. You'll actually see this in your bulletin. Right, but I would encourage I'll talk about it in a minute, but I would encourage you to be start storing up God's word in your heart. Right? And I don't enjoy memorizing things. Right now I'm busy memorizing lots of Hebrew things. And they don't really enjoy memorizing, but you know what? That's that's tough because the reality is that as we memorize scripture, it means that we take God's word with us everywhere we go. It means God's word is with us in the car and at work and at school and at church, it's in the store. God's word is with us in the shower where our Bible would get soggy or our phone would short out. It is available to us in every encounter we have with non believers. Psalm 119.11 describes the power of scripture memorization. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word memorized is an ever-present guide and shield for our heart. It's always guiding us. It is defending us. It is helping us battle temptation. It is comforting us amidst trial. It is answering the questions posed by others. If you'll recall, whenever Satan threw temptation at Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus didn't say, wait, let me grab my scroll of Deuteronomy and start turning. I got something for you, devil. Right? No, he rejected Satan's temptations with memorized Scripture. He set the example for us. And so it's for these reasons the Building Up team is now providing a verse each week in your Bible, four different translations, as you prefer. Chosen from a set of 100 crucial verses that we believe every Christian should know by heart because these are the things that, that we're going to encounter in life or need a quick answer. And there is not going to be a quiz at church, right? You're safe. We're not going to kick you out of the church if you don't memorize these scripture. You're safe. But realize that life can present a pop quiz at any moment. You see, when you're put on the spot by someone or by a difficult situation or a dilemma or a trial or a trauma, the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is going to put on your heart are not going to be the ones you sort of know. They're going to be the ones that you invest the time to memorize. And this isn't just a great personal habit. If you have kids at home, this is a great way to lead and disciple your children by memorizing these as a family. Family. And it's not hard, right? This week's verse, very easy. I think it's like nine words, something like that. You have seven days. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's word matters. To experience the life of transformation and grace and flourishing that God wants for each of you and each of us present, he has given us numerous ways to embrace his word and let it work in our minds and our hearts. So wherever you are right now today in your habits of reading and meditating and contemplating and embracing God's word, I encourage you to go to the next level, to go deeper, to pursue these practices more fully and more richly. When Paul described the full armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 identifies our only offensive weapon against Satan. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word is our sword. As we embrace God's Word through regular preaching and teaching and reading, meditation and memorization, we are sharpening that sword. And so the question we must each consider this week is that as we stand, are we currently wielding a sword or are we just holding a rusty butter knife? God calls us to take up the sword of the Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you for the meticulous preservation of your word down through the centuries, for the efforts of all those who have made sure that we can understand it clearly and accurately in our language. So Lord, I pray that you will help us to be people of the word. People who embrace your word, not just as an intellectual exercise, but as One of the ways you speak to us through your spirit to transform us and turn us into people individually and collectively more like Christ, more consistently honoring you and glorifying you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.